Welcome to the Leaders Edge podcast. I'm Sandy Laycox, Editor-in-Chief of Leaders Edge. In this episode of our Politics and Risk series, Council Senior Vice President Joel Cropperud talks with Congressman Pat Ryan of New York. Then the Council's Government Affairs team gives an exciting PBM update. Give it a listen. Hey, everybody. This is Joel Copperud, Senior Vice President of Government Affairs. Thank you for joining us for our latest podcast with our favorite members of Congress. Uh, I'm honored to be joined today by Congressman Pat Ryan uh, from from New York State. Uh, Anyone that follows the news might be aware that Congressman Ryan came to D.C. last year in 2022 after winning a special election um, as an underdog. It was a big upset and was the first in a series of upsets uh, for Democrats leading uh, into the November election. Uh, So his race was closely monitored as a potential barometer on what's happening in swing districts across the country, what messaging actually works to reach independent voters. uh, And in districts that voted potentially for Donald Trump, can Democrats still win? And I think Pat Ryan has demonstrated to the party that he sees the path um, and hears what independent moderate voters are thinking and want in their members of Congress. we're honored to jo- be joined by him. I've been with him as much as I can be, to be honest, since he's been here, because he's such he's he's so normal. He's so much fun to be around. He's got a business background. Uh, he was an Iraq War veteran, and his father was an insurance agent. So he's uh, he was raised in our industry, and he knows our industry inside and out. So, uh, Congressman, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, real quick, just give us some background on what was that first win you had. A lot of interesting dynamics. It was you were you. It was an upset win. You weren't supposed to win that election. You did, but then right after you did, you were nominated to serve as the nominee in a new congressional district because the lines keep getting redrawn in New York. So you're constantly. I don't know if you're having to shift focus, but you're constantly having to get to know new voters. That's got to change your messaging a little bit, or or maybe not. What tell us a little bit about the dynamics? What you what drove you to run, and what's driving you to stay in this weird environment? Well, on a personal level, yeah, I mean, I, my dad, who was who was an insurance agent, ran a small agency in my hometown, Kingston, New York. My mom was a public school teacher, so they really drilled into me service and the obligation that you have to serve and sort of give give to the community, which almost sounds quaint these days. Um, but and that was very real in my in my family. So that led me to West Point. It led me to the Army stuff that you mentioned, and. Um, and ultimately, I, I I served in local office before this, and and now have this this awesome opportunity to be in Congress. So, uh, getting in in the race last year, it was more more driven by the crazy uh, po- political landscape in New York in terms of when it happened. But I was you know always interested in uh, serving in Congress, and uh, it's been quite a wild first year to put it to put it mildly but um has really validated honestly the importance of having people that are are of the community that get the community that you know you're you're laughing about it but in all seriousness are just kind of regular normal people who don't lose your kind of humanity and uh and integrity too increasingly amidst the 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 toxic politics we're in so that's what we're trying to do and i think we're doing a pretty good job. It's it's uh it's tough to deliver on some of the big things happening, uh, the big policy needs, but we are doing a lot of great work at the district level, supporting um with infrastructure, with uh health 
helping small businesses and, and a lot of other critical needs. So that, that's been good. And on the political side and the campaign side, yeah, we were the first house race after the, you know, this uh, seismic Dobbs decision from the Supreme Court. And so we really centered our race on a unifying message that Americans really don't like when you take their freedom away. And, uh, you know, that was really what our campaign was about, that that decision represented uh, taking away reproductive freedom from basically half of the American people uh, or more, depending how you think about it. And so we centered the campaign on that and unexpectedly to many pundits and, and supposed experts we won. But I was not surprised. I mean, I, I just think that's like at the core of how the American people think about their lives is our country's about giving more freedom to more people. And when you try to take that away, there's an incredibly strong uh, reaction, understandably, to that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. At, kind of related to that, um, or not totally unrelated, you're, this, this week, President Zelensky is in town. The hot issue right now is whether or not Congress can get funding for Ukraine and get a border deal crisis, a border deal agreement, uh, border security agreement, excuse me doesn't sound like it's likely to happen, given your background, how dire is this situation, do you think? Well, we have critical small D democratic allies in Israel, in Ukraine, and to a certain degree in, in also Taiwan and vis-a-vis -vis China, not to mention border security. And these are all linked things. These, these are all interdependent things where we see a rise of authoritarian dictators and it's our responsibility, I think, to stand with fellow democracies, whether that's against Putin's aggression, Iranian aggression, Chinese aggression, and certainly to protect our borders. So the fact that we can't agree on that, well, actually, the fact that the vast uh, preponderance of members of Congress do actually agree on those things, but that we can't get it to the floor of the U.S. House to vote on, it, it defies logic. And when I try to explain that to people in my district or even... You know, I was with a bunch of fellow veterans this weekend at the Army-Navy football game. They're like, wait, the vast majority of Congress supports this. Why can't you just vote on it and make it happen? And it, it, there is not an intuitive answer to that. So that's part of the dysfunction of how our system's set up, where it's sort of an extreme number of a small group of people or a small number of an extreme uh, group of people can hold things back. And Ukraine in particular, I mean, they, they are literally fighting for their lives. They're fighting for their integrity of their country. Um, and so we should stand with them. But it's also in our national security interest for the American people to stop Russian aggression uh, and to help. This will also replenish a lot of our munitions that we need for our own defense that we've we've shared with allies over the last few years. Yeah, for sure. It seems like a, a crazy, stressful moment right now in history. And hopefully, if we can't do it this week, we can do it soon. We have uh, to. It just back to your point about pragmatic representation and how people just want to get things done. And in your district, how do you, what, what are these? I mean, so I give a presentation that really underscores the rise of the independent voter. And at this point in American history, we have more voters identifying as an independent than at any other point in time. It's a drastic change. 49% of Americans identify as independents, 25% as Democrats, 25% as Republicans. And it's the rise is just clearly a refle reflection of the dysfunction in Washington, distaste with, with the chaos here and gridlock. 
Yeah. How do you campaign on this when there's when the, when a fix is it's got to be an institutional fix? Um, there's the gerrymandered lines. It's the I mean it's all kinds of reasons that got us to where we are. Social media. We can go down and have a whole separate podcast on that. But how do you navigate that, particularly when the leaders of both parties? It looks like if it is Trump versus Biden again no one wants to vote for those two. And so it's the lesser of two evils. How do you share optimism and light and on your campaign in this somewhat dark moment? Yeah, that is, if I had that all figured out, I'd feel much better about <laughs> our the the our whole situation politically and just morally as a country, but I'm still working on that. I mean, my view is when times are the toughest, you have to be optimistic, even though that requires incredible energy and uh, discipline sometimes. And so we are, I'm really trying to help folks who are rightly so focused on the immediate stress they're feeling, especially economically, cost of living factors from healthcare to housing, to food, to gas and everything, utilities are, is such a stress that it's, that it's, near impossible and unfair to expect people to look further out and think further ahead. But when you think about what's happening around the world with all the threats we just talked about, what's happening in our, in our economy locally and, uh, and nationally, we have to have a forward-looking direction. We have to have leaders that can pull us out of the immediate divisive moments and say, what's, what is this going to look like in 2050? Like I have two-year-old and four-year-old boys. Like we're not talking enough, in my view, about what we want to build for them, how they're going to have good jobs in, in a district like mine, where we lost a lot of jobs over the last 20 years overseas. Now we're finally starting to bring them back. We need to be talking more about uh, those things, because those are things to actually be optimistic about. When, when we focus on the, the places of disagreement, uh, which is what I think the party leaders of both parties are incentivized to do, then we pit each other uh, against ourselves. And that is... The, the answer to your question of why 49% of people are independent. My district is very independent. And what I think they've so far appreciated and, and hopefully continued to with how I've operated is I really do try to be independent on every vote I take, every every decision I make and think about the district. And, you know, growing up there, I'm actually the fifth generation or raising the sixth generation. So I get the district uh, and I think go out of our way. We really go out of our way to hear everybody. And um, that's what we need more of too. Yep. I think your brief time in DC, um, I think that has come through and it shows we we know it. Uh, so wrapping up real quick. The highest compliment, so thank you. <laughs> uh, we asked these last two questions of all of our podcast uh, uh, interviewees. Uh -oh. uh, what's the number one issue that you're hearing about at home in your district? Well, last weekend, it was whether Army was going to beat Navy in football, since I represent West Point. The good news is Army won. So that, that was that was top of mind for a lot of people. But in, in all seriousness, um, it is the it is the continuing economic pressure, specifically uh, just how expensive it is for people to do what they need to do. Not even these aren't luxuries like to have a roof over your head, to have food on the table, to pay for gas, to pay for groceries. I mean, that is still far and above the, the the number one stressor, whether you're a senior on fixed income or a young person with college debt or trying to make your way. So that's what we have to continue to work on. And 
that is where there's still agreement on the need and, and even general agreement on the solution. So that that's certainly number one. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, everything that I read in the news here inside the bubble, inside the beltway says the economy is doing great, but are you not feeling that? Are you not hearing that from your constituents? Well, I think it's a lot of those sort of traditional indicators that economists look to are doing well uh, from the stock market to GDP and unemployment's record low in our district. But what has what is ultimately not worked is as, as costs have gone up dramatically, wages have not. And that's that just doesn't work for folks. I mean, it just rents are more than doubled in the last 10 years, but incomes have ascent wages have essentially stayed flat not to mention what happened in the pandemic for everybody. So it just isn't adding up for people and they're working harder than ever, but like they, you just can't afford to do what you need to do. So the, the inequality of our, of our economy uh, is a real, a real challenge. I mean, even in, even in the uh, insurance industry, I know like this was a pressure my dad felt where the consolidation as the bigger and bigger folks were getting more and more sort of power in all sectors of our economy, that that's a real challenge that we have to figure out whether it's in healthcare or insurance uh, or, or, or our, our energy sector. You know, a lot of these places, I think we need to level the playing field more for small and medium businesses like, like my dad's and, and a lot of others. That's, that's the preponderance of businesses in my district are small, small businesses just trying to, you know, just keep it going basically. Uh, and final question, who's your favorite member of Congress on the other side of the aisle to work with? Great question. Um, I think for a multitude of reasons, my so my West Point classmate from the, the class of 2004, John James from Michigan, is a fellow freshman with me. And we, we, we not only graduated the same year, we lived across the hall from each other in the barracks for two years. So have a real bond that transcends our crazy political moment when it comes to what we went through at school together, what we went through in combat, um, both served uh, in Iraq. And so we've been able to do a lot of work together in a bipartisan way because we have that foundation of of trust and 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 really of service, of recognizing we're here to do something bigger than getting reelected, hopefully. <laughs> That's not why we're here. And so um, that's been really a positive part of, uh, working with him has been one of my favorite parts of, of the job so far. That's excellent. That's what we really try to underscore in this podcast is that despite all of the noise that we see in the press, there's a lot of bipartisan relationships that actually do exist. Um, and it never, never bubbles to the top. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners for, for dialing in and joining us again. And we look forward to talking to you all soon. Thanks, Joel. So Blair, Joel, it's always great to talk to you. We are at the end of the year. I know Congress is almost ready to go home. Uh, let's hear from you all. What are the urgent issues of the day before we close out this year? Yeah, uh, thanks for asking that, Sandy. <laughs> a real urgent issue of the day. Congratulations, everyone on our team and for all the guidance we got from our board and our advocacy committee and our CB Advisory Council, because we had a really big victory last night. Uh, the House of Representatives passed our PBM reform legislation. That's huge. We've been working. This is our number one legislative priority. We've been working on this um, aggressively since January. Uh, what the legislation does is, as most of our listeners should know, because we talk about it on every podcast, but it requires 
PBMs to be just as transparent with their revenue streams and how they are compensated as brokers are. Uh, and you know, we thought that this language, we thought that this language was passed in 2020 when we were advocating for it then, but apparently the language was ambiguous enough where PBMs were able to say, no, it doesn't apply to us. And so they have not been transparent. Uh, and so we've got the language in there, the house passed it. This is a big win for us. This was, we thought this was going to happen in September when it was put on the suspension calendar, which is reserved for broad bipartisan issues. And it was yanked at the 11th hour. Uh, which caused us a lot of concern as to whether or not this was ever going to get done. And why was it yanked? There were all kinds of stories. Um, the public message as to why it was pulled off the bipartisan calendar uh, was that there wasn't clarity as to how many Democrats were ultimately going to support it. So would it reach the two-thirds threshold required to be um, on that calendar? That's the public line. There were a lot of rumors going around that it was actually because uh, the PBM industry funded uh, paid a conservative think tank to produce a white paper saying that the legislation is anti-free market, um, anti-contract, anti-competitive, all those things. And some of the far-right members uh, were advocating for it to be yanked. And then, of course, following the speaker drama and questions of leadership and what direction they were going to go, it was pulled off. So it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it was pulled off. So the fact that, was, that they voted on it last night at the 11th hour last week that they were in Congress um, is great. So the question is, where do we go from here? The Senate still has to move on their bill. Their bill is a lot more aggressive when it comes to PBM reforms than the House's bill. But our, our transparency language is in both. So as far as we care, we don't care which one reaches the finish line. Uh, it sounds like the most likely path to the president's desk will be if they attach it to one of the funding bills in January. There are probably going to be two funding bills, maybe one bill. It's not going to be called an omnibus bill because Speaker Johnson has said there will not be an omnibus bill under his watch. But he will still need to fund the federal government and there is still must pass legislation that's hanging out there. And the clearest route to get this to the president's desk is to attach it to one of those bills. So the fact that the House passed it this week, I feel like is a really strong step forward uh, because it's just going to be in a matter of weeks when they pass another large funding bill. And if we can attach it to that, that's the easiest, cleanest route. Yeah, I mean, I think um, that was a very generalized picture. I think there's still a lot of moving parts and um, especially when it comes to funding bills because there, you know, it was done in two different tranches. And I think the speaker is doing things that because of his background in, in constitutional law and because of who he's hired, I think they're trying to do things that, that look really good on paper, but don't exactly work um, in real life like this, that, that tranche spending bill. So I just, I don't know the likelihood of, um, of things getting done and included beyond spending. You know, I mean, you have like, there's Ukraine, Israel, a border that are supposedly must pass more important than this, um, than our, you know, than this transparency and healthcare bill. So it's, it, the timing is concerning because it's, you know, usually after, you know, when you start the year of a presidential election, not much gets done. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so it's and then it's, you know, really up to the Senate and the Senate and the House are not on the same page when it comes to funding and omnibus bills. Um, anything, really. Yeah. But this I mean, they're in and, you know, in hearing what what we hear, especially about um, border issues, it has fired up a lot of people. Yep, absolutely. I had uh, separately, but not unrelated. I had some conversations close close conversations with senior staff in Center Cinema's office, who's in the middle of everything and getting anything accomplished, any agreements done. 
Uh, and they shared with us that they are really looking at including uh, safe banking, the cannabis legislation we've been advocating for for years in a funding package in January. And they said they are talking behind the scenes with um, Financial Services Committee Chairman in the House, Patrick McHenry, who's announced his retirement, but he's making a lot of issues, uh, legacy issues for him. One of them being crypto regulations. Uh, and the legislation that his committee is pushing for is not doesn't is not in line with the Senate Banking Committee's vision for crypto regulations. But they know something needs to be done and they're trying to work out an agreement there. So when it comes to crypto regulations, they're trying to say, hey, we can maybe swallow some of the crypto pills that we don't like that you're advocating for if you can swallow our cannabis pill that you don't like. And it sounds like they're pretty close to making an agreement with an eye on that January funding bill. Nobody's happy, it must be right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Washington, right? Yeah. It's pretty crazy, but I mean, that's the clearest path I've seen yet for that getting done. Yeah. Because they're going to have to fund the government in January. Mm, dead silence. <laughs> <laughs> One would imagine. So that's where we're at, Sandy. It's a it's a big time. It's a big moment with our agenda. A lot of our agenda is, is um, included in the twits and turns that are going to be happening here in the next month or so. So uh, we're feeling pretty, uh, as we like to say in D.C., cautiously optimistic. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, listen, congratulations on the on the small PBM step. Um, or big step, that's great. And um, we're excited uh, to see to see that go forward. And uh, great conversation with the congressman. Um, really exciting to to hear to hear from him. and um, just interesting to hear the stuff that you've mentioned, the border, the the security and the stuff that's stuck up there. So it's hopefully we'll we'll see that stuff move. Your looks to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, happy holidays and um, see you in the new year. Thanks, Sandy. Thanks, Sandy. That was Congressman Pat Ryan of New York and the Council's Government Affairs team. I hope you enjoyed it. For more politics and risk, go to leadersedge.com. <laughs>